Welcome back to our ongoing uh, sermon series in the book of Exodus. So this morning's message um, is pretty much the introduction to the climax of this whole book. Uh, and the climax is that of the Mosaic Covenant and the giving of the law. Uh, and it all happens at Mount Sinai. Uh, also at Mount Sinai, we're going to see um, the goodness uh, or the delight and the danger. Uh, of God. Uh, just like what R.C. Sproul said on that uh, video, um, the problem with the Christian church nowadays, we don't, we don't know who we are um, when put uh, or put against uh, God. Uh, we don't know who God is, uh, therefore uh, we think that God is this nice, you know, the New Testament God, uh, nice, gracious, and that's it. That's, that's our view of God. But a full view of God, we'll, we'll see in our text, um, not today, but next week. Um, he is a loving God, uh, very much so. But he's also dangerous. Uh, that's why the title of, the, of this series, mini-series, is Delight and Danger, the Holiness of God. Um, so before we get to that, let me just do a quick review uh, of the previous uh, chapter that we were in. So after uh, chapter 17, uh, where we saw the Israelite army defeat the attack of the Amalekites, our story took a sharp turn. Um, at the beginning of chapter 18, we saw Moses being reunited with his wife and children, along with his father-in-law Jethro. And then after their reunion, uh, we saw Jethro give Moses some fatherly advice uh, on how to lead a million people without burning himself and his people out. Uh, before Jethro went back home to his own country. If you missed uh, those uh, sermons, please watch them on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. Um, now on chapter 19, where we begin chapter 19, uh, this should have been where chapter 18 began. Uh, beginning of chapter 19, because we see in the chapter 19 the arrival of the Israelites at Sinai. And our text says that it was on the third moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, uh, that they reached the wilderness of Sinai. Uh, in other words, the, uh, it's been about three months have passed since they've, uh, the people of Israel have left Egypt in that exodus, uh, from, uh, and they, they were saved from slavery. Uh, and since then, we saw how God rescued them from Pharaoh's attack near the Red Sea. And then we saw how even through the grumbling of the Israelites, God was gracious to provide everything that the Israelites needed in the wilderness, including saving them again, uh, this time from the attack of the Amalekites. So suffice it to say that uh, God has proven himself over and over again to be faithful to these people. Um, faithful to save them from their enemies, faithful to be their provider in the wilderness. Um, but the question remains, why, if the promise to them was to bring them to the promised land, why are they at Sinai? Right? That's, that's, that's always been the question for this whole book. Why did God bring them to Sinai? Uh, I was going to show you a map. I don't know if it's going to show properly here on the screen. I just want to show you where Sinai is. Ah, no, it doesn't show properly. Okay. Anyways, if you see where Canaan is all the way at the top, they're in the complete opposite direction. Uh, uh, where Sinai is, right? Sinai is at the bottom right there. So why does God, if he said that, you know, before he took them out of Egypt, I was going to bring them to the promised land, that was a promise, why did, they, why did God bring them to the opposite 
direction. Uh, if you can still remember, I, again, I, I said that this, um, this, this purpose, the purpose for this detour is this continuous building of the faith of the Israelites um, for their full dependence on God. And I've said this before as well, that the main hindrance for this is God's tremendous blessings. Because once they get to the promised land, there will be tremendous blessings. Uh, and unfortunately, as sinful people, the more we are blessed, the more we forget. Uh, and we see this in Deuteronomy. Can you guys read this? Deuteronomy 8, uh, verses 7 to 20. part of their mission all along. Uh, Alec Matier's commentary uh, states this, that Sinai was no accident brought about by misunderstanding or, or an adaptation of the Lord's plans to meet an unforeseen problem, nor was it a transient campsite like Elim or Rephidim, right? It wasn't transient, it wasn't temporary. 
They're going to be at Sinai from chapter 19 all the way to the end of this book. Right? Sinai was, in fact, the primary destination of the journey from Egypt, the Lord's stated target. So in other words, if God's ultimate purpose for this whole detour was to train His people to grow in faith and confidence and dependence in Him, then Sinai is where God will be holding His boot camp. It's all these tests that came before, they were just mini-tests okay, to, to help them learn to trust in God. But Sinai is where the main place is where God is going to train them, train their faith, grow their faith. So for those of you who don't know what a boot camp is, who knows what a boot camp is? A boot camp? Uh, those of you who don't know what a boot camp is, basic training right? for soldiers, uh, military service. Uh, one uh, uh, website said that the boot camp is where recruits are prepared for all elements of service, physical, mental, and emotional. It gives uh, service members the basic tools necessary to perform the roles that will be assigned to them for the duration of their tour, uh, as far as going to war is concerned. So basic training okay, requires basic needs. Basic training requires basic needs. There is nothing in the camp that the recruits do not need in order for them to truly be focused on their training. If you're in boot camp, there's no entertainment, so to speak, because it's going to take you out of focus from what you're there for. So all you need at boot camp is all the basic needs. You have shelter, you have clothing, you have food, and that's it. The Israelites' situation was similar. They had everything that they needed and nothing that they did not need. At the foot of Sinai, that was all they had. Pretty much just what they needed. Okay? There's no extra stuff. Okay? So God specifically brought them to the wilderness of Sinai for this very purpose. In the wilderness, there were no distractions. And ultimately, there is nothing in the wilderness to hinder them to hear and receive the law of God. Again, this is introduction. Because after this, God will give them His law, the Ten uh, commandments, right? So from chapter 19 all the way to the end of the book, uh, the Israelites encamped at the foot of Sinai. Um, and the question now is, what were they being trained for? I would argue that they were being trained for, ultimately, to delight in God's law. To delight in God's law. And I say delight, I mean to love God's law. Okay? Now, to do this, there are three vital truths that the Israelites needed to understand. I'm going to refer to Motier's commentary again for the summary of these truths. But before we get into these truths, uh, I want to remind you that these truths are also for those who have been redeemed by God through faith in Christ. So if you're a Christian, these truths should be true with you. Okay? Because remember, the Israelites were already saved at this point. They were already saved from their greatest enemy. Um, and so God now wants them to know what it's like to live in His sovereign rule. And that's why these truths are being taught to them. But for those of us who have professed faith in Christ, we have been saved from our greatest enemy. What is, what is our greatest enemy? Sin and death, right? Sin and death, the wrath of God that is coming for, for that. Uh, we've been saved from that. So these truths has to be true if you're a professing believer. Right? has to be true in your life. 
for those of us who have been justified by faith, those of us who profess faith in Christ have been justified and are in the process of being sanctified or purified or prepared to enter the promised land. This is what this boot camp is for. So, let's start. First truth uh, that the redeemed of the Lord must learn, that the Israelites must learn and that we should, uh, that should be true in our lives. First truth is that uh, the redeemed of the Lord must be submitted to God's word. The redeemed of the Lord must be submitted to God's word. And they all start with letter S, by the way. So the first thing is submitted. Um, so Motier states, by the will of God, those whom he has redeemed must come under the direction of the word he speaks. The Israelites have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and now the Lord has brought them as the primary destination of their pilgrimage to the place where they could hear his voice and learn his law for their lives. If, you, if you're not submitted to this, okay, the truth of God's word, if you're not submitted to it, then how are you going to live under his sovereignty, under his sovereign rule? Because uh, everything that, um, that God uh, instructs is through words, through Moses, right? It's through words. If you're not submitted to the word of God, then how are we going to live under his sovereign rule? Uh, check out Deuteronomy, this time uh, chapter 4, 35 to 40. Can you guys read that? So Moses is saying to the people of Israel here in Deuteronomy, if you know that the Lord is God in heaven and beneath, therefore keep his statutes. If you know that, if you believe in that, if you're convinced that God is the all-powerful God, keep his word. Yeah? Keep his statutes and the commandments of God. Uh, or, in other words, submit yourselves under the word of God. Um, those who proclaim to believe in Jesus should be submitted to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about submission to God's word, it doesn't only mean a one-time profession of faith, because that's, that's a command of God to believe, right? It doesn't just mean that. Um, if that's what you think that submission to God's word is, it's just, oh, I profess faith and that's it, uh, then, I, you know, please listen up. Um, some people stop at the profession of faith when it comes to their Christianity. I, I believe, I profess faith, that's it. I'm a Christian. Um, what's worse is that some people's profession of faith is a general one. As in, uh, I hear a lot of people say, I believe in God. You ever, you ever hear that? When you ask somebody, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe? Yes, I believe in God. 
What are you talking about? Who, what God or who, which God are you talking about? You have to be specific about that because the Bible is crystal clear about this. There is only one name who has the power to save. Right? Acts 4, 11 and 12. What does it say? No other name under heaven is given among men by which you will be saved. So when, when you ask somebody, do you believe in God? And they say, yeah, I believe in God. Which one? Because <laughs> the God that you're talking about might be yourself. It could be something else. We have to be specific when it comes to saying, professing faith when it comes to being a Christian. It can't be a general one. Biblical salvation is personal because salvation is found in the person, in a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be specific about this aspect of the gospel. The gospel is not just God loves you. It is God loves you in Christ. You get what I'm saying? I, I hear a lot of preachers saying, yeah, yeah, God loves you, God loves you. God loves you how? In Christ. It has to be there. Without Christ, there is no gospel. Okay? And without submission to Christ, the gospel is just news. It's not good news. A person's profession of faith in Christ will always come with a changed heart and a heart that is submitted to every word of God and a heart that loves the word of God. So a true believer will have an ever-growing desire for God's word. If that's not you then maybe you should check yourself. If there is no desire, an ever-growing desire for God's Word, do you really believe? Right? I'm not here to make you doubt, by the way. Okay? I'm just here to warn you okay, that this God that we're approaching is a holy God. And we'll see it at the end, at the end of this chapter. Right? And we can't take just, you know, we can't not take Him seriously. Um, you know, when we sit here at church and we say we're Christians and we listen to the word, meanwhile, the desire, there, there's no desire outside of church, there's no desire uh, to learn more about God, then we should really examine ourselves. Um, because this is not something that we should just, you know, um, just think, uh, you know, take lightly. Uh, the word of God is um, weighty. Uh, it's very important uh, because God is. So a true believer will have an ever-growing desire for God's Word. Now, what I don't mean by that is that all Christians should be biblical scholars or pastors. That's not what I mean. Uh, what I do mean is that, first of all, all Christians should be theologians. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a theologian? Theologian is, that, um, is somebody who studies God, who wants to know more about God, Right? So all Christians should be that. All believers, all professing believers should have a desire to know God more. And how else are you going to know God more? But through His Word. That's why if there's no desire, there's no knowing God more, then are you really a theologian? Are you really a Christian? Um, so that's the first thing. Secondly, all Christians should be submitted to God's Word in that they look to God's Word first. Or they consider God's word first before they make any decisions. 
no matter how small or how big that decision is. Our lives should be revolving around God's Word, not the other way around. It should be the center of the Christian's life. Check out uh, Psalm 119, uh, verses 105 to 112. Can you guys read that? In my affliction, I come to your word first. Uh, when I'm in trouble, I come to your word first. Uh, before, I, before I said yes to this surgery, I came to God's word first. Because when I was approached, when I, when I came uh, and had my checkup, and the doctor said, we're going to have to do this surgery, it's invasive. The first thing that came to my mind was like, nope, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like it when people, you know, come into you. <laughs> it's scary, right? So I came to God's word first. And what, what, the thing that, hold, that held me um, and, and, and gave me the assurance that it's going to be okay is that God said, I will be with you no matter what, right? If this is your will, then I'm sure it's, it's for my good. That's, that's the assurance that I held on to before going into the surgery. Because I told my wife, asked my wife, I was scared going into this. What if I don't wake up anymore? <laughs> Who's been in surgery here? It's scary, right? right? The, 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 the nurse that was with me in the, in the operating room, first of all, they made me walk to the operating room. I felt like Jesus carrying my cross. I had my, uh, what, do you, what do you call it, the IV? Walk in with my gown to the operating room. When I got to the operating room, they put you to, they, they made you lie down on this cold, whatever steel thing is. Um, all kinds of lights in the operating room. And there's like a ton of people there. I'm just, I'm like, you're taking out one stone. Why do you need 20 people here? <laughs> when I get there, they're supposed to put you to sleep, right? Because of the operation. Now, the nurse that was, um, you know, supposed to be comforting me, is, uh, he, she was a little bit too comforting. Because she was like, are you okay? Think good thoughts. Think good thoughts. I'm like, oh, man. They are going to die here. <laughs> and, the, and you can only see their eyes, right? You can't see their, their mouth. So it's like, think good thoughts. Think good thoughts. Like he, she was hypnotizing me to sleep. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> but, but, right, the thing that, again, gave me assurance that this was going to be fine was that, yeah, God's word says, if this is going to happen, then this must be your will. And if this is your will, then this must be good. Um, and if it's good, then I'll gladly obey, no matter what happens. Um, 
Because after that, they just put you to sleep and you're out. And that's it. Two hours later, you wake up. <laughs> and that's it. That's when the pain starts. But it's always, you're, if you're a true professing believer, your world has to revolve around God's word. And not the other way around. Um, or if you're making decisions, moving to a new home, if you're planning vacations, if you're uh, getting a new job, consult God's word first before you do anything else. Um, so that's the first truth. Uh, first truth for the redeemed. They are submitted to God's word. They have a desire for it. Their lives revolve around it. Um, second truth for the redeemed is that as they submit to God's word, their worldview is continually shaped by God's law. Uh, so first thing is submitted, and second thing is shaped. As you continue to submit to God's word, uh, your worldview, the way you see the world, is going to be shaped by God's law. Uh, Motier explains, the law of God is essentially his instructions on how to live a life pleasing to him. And it has this meaning not only in the Old Testament, but throughout the Bible. God's law is not a ladder of merit by which we try to climb by grim obedience into his good books. It is a way of life revealed to those who are already by redemption in his good books. He brings us to himself and then requires us to live as to, so as to please him. So God's law, uh, as he will shortly give it uh, in the next chapter, serves as two things for the believer. God's law serves first as a wall of protection uh, to keep his people within his presence to experience the fullness of life. Okay? And secondly, God's law is a lens to view the world in. Right? But, again, as sinful human beings, our tendency is first to feel trapped within these walls of, walls of love. That's the tendency of a sinful human being. Now, these walls are here as uh, they're, they're keeping me in. Uh, it's trapping me. Uh, I feel claustrophobic. Right? Um, and secondly, uh, the law of God as a lens it takes time to develop to where our first instinct is to view everything through it. Um, so unbelievers hate the law because they hate God. What about believers? As believers, God has shown us what the law is for by faith. And through sanctification, through training, through spiritual growth, we will grow to love the law as we grow to love God. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9. You guys read it again. <clears throat> So if you're redeemed, if you if you're a professing believer, uh, the Lord, the, the redeemed of the Lord will be shaped by the law of God and will grow to see it as the psalmist see it. How did the psalmist see the law of God? Perfect, soul reviving, sure, full of wisdom. The law of God is righteous, cause for joy. Uh, it's pure, enlightening to the eyes, clean and enduring forever. Ten things that the psalmist saw that the law of God was. As, as, as you grow as a believer, you should see the law of God, the word of God as these. Um, and again, I'm not saying that all believers should be perfectly in love with God's law. There are times when I don't want to read or study the Bible. 
there are times when my desire for God's word dips. Not to mention, there are times when I feel like trying to break out of the wall of love that God provided through his word and through his law. Uh, and there are times when God allows me to hop the fence, so to speak. There are times when God will allow you to do that. What for? It is these times that God has shown me over and over again that true fulfillment, true satisfaction, true joy can only be found in His presence. The promise of happiness outside of God's law has always fallen short. If there is something in you that's kind of tempting you to go out of bounds, so to speak, when it comes to God's law, um, you know, like it's going to fall short. <laughs> There's a reason why God wants you to keep you within His presence. It's because that's where fullness of life is found. But, but we tend to want to get out there and try other things. Right? And every time it has fallen short. It is only in God that true joy and contentment can be found. And we can only experience this joy and contentment as we continue to love the law and the word of God. To love this, this, this wall that he has placed around us. To develop a lens in which to see the word the world through his word. Um, so God, in his mercy and grace, sometimes leads us to this boot camp in the wilderness. Sometimes he will, he'll allow you to go to the wilderness, uh, a place where you have nothing left but him. Uh, and this is where, by God's grace, we can see and hear him the clearest. So if you're in, a, if you're in the wilderness right now, like, you know, uh, like it feels like everything is falling apart in your world, um, trust that God is still good in that, that he led you there for a purpose, right? So first truth, again, the redeemed are submitted to God's word. Second, the redeemed, as they submit to God's word, live their lives uh, and worldview are shaped um, by God's law and his word. Uh, third and last, the redeemed of the Lord are surrendered, surrendered to the grace of God. Again, uh, Motier explains, the grace of God precedes the law. His grace reaches out to save, and it is those whom he has saved that he reveals his law. The first characteristic of the saved is that they possess, know, and live by the word of their saving God. In the case of our ancestors in the faith, the Israel of old, that word came through Moses. In our case, inheritors of the new covenant in Jesus' blood, it is the whole completed Bible. So what we see in the first half of the story of Exodus is the salvation of the Israelites. And the salvation of the Israelites was never about their performance, nor was it about their affections towards God. It was never about that. God saved them regardless of that. Right? So because, here's the problem. We're no good at obeying law. Right? Just coming here, I broke the law. Speed limit. Because we, I left at 9.30, and it usually takes me an hour to get here. First service starts at 10.30. So guess what? I'm not going to go 100. <laughs> I break the law already. We have a problem with obeying the law. We're no good at obeying God's commands. It started from our ancestors, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Jacob to the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. They all failed when it comes to obeying the law. We fail daily. In obeying the law but the good news is and the good news of the gospel is that even though we will consistently fail as we consistently try to hop the fence of the law and try to ignore the precepts of God 
God doesn't judge His redeemed through our disobedience anymore. But through the obedience of our mediator, Jesus Christ. Those of us who have been redeemed, God doesn't judge you through your disobedience. He sees you through the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we see in the text throughout the rest of the book of Exodus. Moses, the mediator, represented the people of God, and God judged the people through him. Right? Uh, Exodus 19, 79. I'll read it for you if it's here. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Verse 8. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported these words of the people to the Lord. See, the people doesn't speak straight to God. It was all through Moses. And God doesn't speak straight to the people. It was always through Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe who? Me forever? Moses forever. So those of us who have been redeemed through the blood of Christ, we are being judged through that's the good news. Why do we need that? Because we suck at obeying the law. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do it perfectly. Um, I think everyone in this room will agree, none of us can live up to the standards of perfection as being demanded by a holy God. But thank God that His love for us is not dependent on our righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ, our mediator. So much so that even though we, will still, we are still immature children, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, through the grace of God by faith, are, are already loved and are already welcomed in the family of God. It's like this. It's like, um, uh, and I got this illustration from Matt Chandler. It's like um, when you have a baby, um, Newborns are the most selfish forms of human beings ever. Right? When they're first coming to the world, that's why you know we're born sinners, right? Because these babies are just selfish. They don't care about your schedule. They don't care if you're sleeping. They don't care if, you know, I had a, ba I had a bad day at work. They don't care, right? They're going to wake you up, feed me, change me, give me what I want, right? They're selfish that way. But you as a parent, you don't say, Man, you know, when this baby learns to be unselfish, that's when I love this baby. When this baby learns to change his diapers by himself, that's when I love this baby. When this baby, right? When this baby learns to walk, feed himself, do all these things that I don't have to take care of, then, then I love the baby. No. Baby comes out. For, who has kids here? But then you saw your kid being born. Don't you love them right away? Well, some of you are like, eh. I, I thought uh, when my, my first one was born, um, my dad always told me, um, you know, because uh, you're a, how do you say it in, in English? Pintasero ka kasi. Sabi niya, pag pintasero ka, yung anak mo, pangit. So I don't know, uh, to say it in English. Pintasero is a, how do you say that in English? Huh? A critic? That's not a pintasero. Pintasero is not a critic. But anyway, yeah, like you're a snob. Like you, 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 you look at other people and you, you judge. You're, you're judgmental. You're judgmental, okay? So my dad said, since you're judgmental, 
when it comes to the people's looks, your baby will be ugly. So when Eli came out, I was like, oh no, it's true. <laughs> baby is ugly. <laughs> but all babies look ugly at the start because all they're all puffed up, right? They're all like maga, like they're all puffed up. And so when you look at that and you're like, oh man, my baby is, do you, do you sit there and say, oh man, I don't love this baby. Give me another one. Give me the cute one. Uh, you know, change this one. No, you love your baby right away, right? You don't wait for your baby to do all the things that you expect a baby to do. Like Paul Washer uh, said that, you know, he, he doesn't expect his 10-year-old to act like his 16-year-old. But he loves them anyway, even though the 10-year-old still acts like a 10-year-old. So here, there's a bunch of 10-year-olds. There's a bunch of 12-year-olds. Some of you are like two, three-year-olds. <laughs> But it does, it's not, doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Uh, no, we're just in different stages of growth. But the good news, again, of the gospel is we're not being judged by our righteousness. We're not being judged by our perfect obedience. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. Um, and this is a picture of God's grace for his redeemed children. This is how God's redeemed children lives, by God's grace and through his grace. Um, through His grace, great, God's great love and patience is made available to those who belong to His family through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so if you're here, if you're sitting here, and, and none of these things are resonating with you, um, whether or not you believe in God or in a God, um, then I encourage you to know the God of the Bible and the salvation that He offers through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can approach me after the service and I'll be more than happy to talk with you about Jesus. By the grace of God, may you begin to see him by faith and love him and his word. Now, if you're sitting here or watching at home and you feel as though you're in the wilderness of life, everything is just falling apart. Trust that God brought you there so that you can have a clear view of who he is. Listen to his word. Uh, through this message or through your reading and study of the scriptures and in prayer. Now, for the rest of us whose lives are going well, anybody whose lives are going well? Nobody? Just me? I just came out of surgery. You guys are not going, doing well? Um, for the rest of you, okay, whose lives are going well, and, and I know your lives are going well. Uh, I see a lot of people on vacation. Uh, <laughs> And I'm happy for you. That's great, right? But don't let your affluence blur your view of God. If the abundance of life is making it hard for you to hear God, spend some time alone with Him. Go to the wilderness. Spend some time alone with God uh, in His Word and in prayer. God is good. He will reveal Himself to you as He wills. So the first thing that we learn from this story um, is that before God gave his law, um, he wanted to train the people of Israel to delight in his word first. To delight in God first. So delighting in God, what does it mean to delight in God? It means to be submitted under his word. And therefore our lives is continually shaped by his word. Um, and we live lives that are surrendered to His grace. Confident 
in the work of Jesus on the cross and not our own. Even before the law is given. This is what God wants us to learn here. So next week, we're going to take up the second half of chapter 19. And it deals with the danger, the holiness of God. Why do I say danger? Because God is dangerous. If you, got, if you haven't realized that yet, hopefully you can come next week. You'll see how dangerous God is. And it makes Him holy. Um, so hopefully you can come by next week and join us again. Amen. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. And give you peace. 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 Just.